You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament, going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 9. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 9 and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. They see Elijah and Moses speaking with Jesus. What a remarkable scene. Luke tells us that they're speaking with Jesus of the decease he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, that sounds like his death. You know, that's a strange idea, isn't it? You're about to accomplish a decease. That doesn't seem like a huge accomplishment. The Greek is exodus, about the exodus he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. He would lead captivity captive. Oh, death You know, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He would have victory over hell and death and the devil and the grave. And he would lead not captives, but captivity itself. Captive. He was about to do what Moses never did. Moses brought the people to the edge of the promised land, didn't bring them in. Elijah called down fire from heaven, but never really changed the nation. Jesus is about to accomplish an exodus that neither of them had actually finished or accomplished. When both of them died, their work was not done. Jesus, before he dies on the cross, he will say, it is finished. To tell us die, paid in full. They're talking with him about the exodus or the decease, Luke says, he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And Peter answered. Now, I like that. He didn't have to answer because nobody was talking to him. (laughs) Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. (laughs) And you think Moses and Elijah, who are these guys? You know, just, you know, it's really a good thing we're here. And and you can see, you know, Moses going, you know, I tried that at the burning bush. Don't do that. It's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I have a great idea. Let's just stay here. This is so cool. And it's a good thing we're here because you guys just keep talking. We don't need to interrupt and we'll build three tabernacles. We'll just stay here. Wait, you know, who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now he's putting him right back on the same level with Elijah. Now he wants to build three tabernacles and put them all on the same level. It's good that we're here. <laughs> Let us build three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he must have told, Mark must have said, why did you say that? And in verse 6, he tells us, for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Now, the secret is, if you're ever somewhere and Jesus and Moses and Elijah appear and you don't know what to say, don't say anything. That's the lesson here. 
don't say anything. He said, we, we didn't know what to say because we were sore afraid. It's interesting, that phrase, sore afraid, is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 21. It says, when Moses was in Sinai, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake at Mount Sinai in the presence of God. Moses was said he exceedingly feared, and he was quaking. Here it says, same exact phrase, they were sore afraid. You know, we, we look at this, and, and sometimes we think because Peter opened up his mouth that they weren't that terrified. It says here, they were sore afraid. They see Jesus in his glory, and Moses and Elijah standing there talking with him. They didn't know what to say, so Peter pipes up, and there was a cloud then that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Peter is the only human being that ever lived, which is basically told directly by God to be quiet and listen to his son. The Shekinah glory cloud overshadows them, and God says, this is my son, hear him. When they look up, Jesus is the only one there. Peter will recount this as he says to us in his second epistle. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he leaves out to hear him. You know, Peter, it's like it happened yesterday. As an older man, he's writing, he remembers, he says, but we have now a more sure word of prophecy. He said, we didn't make known to you the coming power of the Lord with cunningly devised fables. Hey, we were there and we heard God the Father speak in the Holy Mount and say, this is my beloved. Now, he doesn't give us the fact there in his second epistle that God was talking to him and saying, this is my beloved son. And it's literally be hearing him are the tenses. And suddenly it says, when they had looked around about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. So no doubt this is a crucial point in the ministry of Christ. Peter and John are to be central figures. James will be the first martyred, interestingly. And, and given such um, access to some remarkable things, and yet he would be the first martyred. And as they came down, it says, from the mountain... He charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. Because this is a couple of guys that are going to be talking. You know, he knows them. He's telling them, don't tell anybody what you've seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. You don't catch here, the Greek is, till the Son of Man is risen, ek out from among the dead. 
And they kept saying with themselves, questioning one with another, what the rising out from among the dead should mean. Now, it's because the Jewish people believed in a general resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, uh, Isaiah 26, there were places in the Old Testament that talked, um, Job 19, about the resurrection from the dead. They believe the just and the unjust are all raised together. They believe in a general resurrection. Jesus here says, don't say anything till the Son of Man be risen out from among the dead. And then they're questioning, what does this rising out from among the dead mean? Christ will be the first fruits of those who slept. We're going to have to ask Matthew when we get to heaven, the other guys who came out of the tombs after his resurrection, what that was all about. Then we have the church, part of the first resurrection, at the rapture. We have the two prophets, part of the first resurrection. And no doubt we have the Old Testament saints raised to be part of the millennial kingdom, part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection is a resurrection unto life, and it is a category, not an event. The second resurrection is a resurrection to damnation. And we see that certainly at the great white throne. But there is the rising out from among the dead. God puts a difference between the just and the unjust, the resurrection unto life and the resurrection unto damnation. So they're hearing this. It will be developed in the New Testament. It's brand new for them. What is this rising out from among the dead? They're having this conversation. Now look, imagine these guys coming down. They had followed Jesus now for between two and three years. The first year kind of on and off. The last two years fairly steady. And they're following him now. Walking down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They've looked at the back of his head for two years. They've looked at the back of his robe for two years. They know what the back of his heels sticking out through his sandals look like. They know what the back of the bottom of his sandals look like. But I guarantee you he was the same, but never the same again. They watched him and they looked at them and they, they thought, I wonder when he's going to do it again. I bet on Palm Sunday, as they're getting ready for Palm Sunday, they're going to argue about who's going to sit on his right hand, left hand, because they're thinking, I bet Wade, Wade, well, he'll blow their mind. He's going to be riding into Jerusalem on his donkey, and all of a sudden he's going to let it out again. He's going to, you know, this is the way you see what he's going to do. I mean, they walked behind him, and, but he was never the same again. He was still the same, but never the same. Never the same. They're asking, what is this rising out from among the dead? They're debating back and forth. They're talking among themselves. And then they ask him saying, well, why say the scribes that Elijah must first come? You're telling us not to tell anybody what we saw. And the scribes say that Elijah has to come. And Malachi says that Elijah, behold, I send Elijah before the great and terrible day. Isn't that what just happened? Shouldn't we tell everybody? Shouldn't we be excited about this? And he, Jesus, told them, he answers them, and he says, Elijah verily cometh. Now, if you study that, what he says is, in fact, Elijah is coming. He still puts it in the future. And restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things, and be said it not. Now, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, all of, you know, so many chapters talked about his suffering and what would happen. But I say unto you, 
that Elijah is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him. Now, speaking of John the Baptist, who came forward not literally, physically Elijah, but in the power and the anointing of Elijah. If Israel would have received Christ at that time as their Messiah, John the Baptist would have fulfilled then that role of Elijah. But that didn't happen. And Elijah's still coming, and I believe with Moses, to prepare the way of the Lord, to be one of the two prophets, the eyes of the whole world being upon them outside of Jerusalem. And I believe that precludes the church. God is speaking and ministering to Israel. He's never had both economies in the world at one time, I believe. And they're not preaching the gospel, those two. They're calling down fire out of heaven. They're turning water to blood. They're talking about the judgment of God. They're talking about the God of Israel. And uh, I believe when that happens and when their ministry begins, the church is gone. We know it's the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. The second three and a half years properly. I know the great tribulation, but the first three and a half years is the time of their ministry, 1,260 days. And it says when they're killed, the whole earth parties for three days. Their bodies lay in the streets of Jerusalem. It says because they tormented everybody who lived on the face of the whole earth. That first three and a half years is not a party. And the whole world celebrates. That's not the second three and a half years, because at the end of the second three and a half years, all of the tribes of the earth mourn because of him. They beg the mountains to fall on them. The sun goes out, the moon goes out, the stars go out, and the only thing that's visible is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ coming in all of his glory to set up his kingdom. And nobody's partying then. Their ministry is the first three and a half years. Elijah will come. He has something to do. He is not done to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the hearts of the children of the fathers. But he said, they did unto him whatever they listed. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. Now, there's a question about what this great amazement is, because it's a word that means to be astounded. When they see him, they're staggered. Some try to say that like Moses, when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining, that Jesus had a residue of that as he came. I don't believe that because the glory we see on Christ is different than the glory we see on Moses. Moses' glory was a reflected glory that was a glory that was exterior that shone upon him. The glory of Christ burst forth from within. And when he called that back again, there was no residue of that that I imagine. But some try to say that's why the people are amazed here. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? Now he sees the scribes hassling his disciples and he comes to stick up for the boys and says, what are you doing with my guys now? Don't you ever leave them alone? What are you arguing about now? And one of the multitude <laughs> answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. I, I brought my son to you. Now, he wasn't there, so his son ended up with the disciples. 
and wheresoever he taketh them. Now we have interesting language here in verse 18. To take means to take to oneself, to seize with power. This spirit taketh his son. To tear him means to put him into seizures, to injure him, to tear at him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth. He pineth away is the same word that's used of the grass of the field that withers when the wind blows over it. His son, he says, he pineth away, he withers. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Now, no doubt Jesus is speaking to the multitude. He's speaking to the scribes. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the whole generation. His disciples had been sent out to cast out demons, to raise the dead. And now there's this struggle and they're unable to cast this demon out. This father brings this boy and they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tore him and he fell on the ground and he wallowed foaming. Now look, there are times when Jesus encounters a demon and the demon screams out, what have we to do with thee, thou Christ, the son of the living God? We find that in the beginning of Mark's gospel. We find that with the demoniac at Gadara. This spirit seems very vile, very strong, very stubborn. He sees Christ. He doesn't scream out to Christ. He doesn't just come out. It says here he, he takes hold of the boy straightway. He tore him that he fell on the ground and the little boy is laying there wallowing and foaming. And he, Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he, the father said, of a child. The idea is from birth, from the time, from the time he was he was a baby. It's you know, and and there's huge questions. How does that happen? Uh, uh, this father up in the area of Caesarea Philippi is he involved in some type of pagan worship? Had he offered another child to a pagan god? Were him and his wife involved in immoral things? Were they? you know, certainly worshiping or making offerings to devils, something the family had been open in some way. And, and the repercussions of that were in the life of this it doesn't say he was born that way, but from the time he was very young. So, you know, we have a father here who's robbed of dignity. He's robbed of being proud of his son. He's never fished with his son. He's never talked to his son about his first date. He's never going to talk to him about raising children. He's never going to see grandchildren. He's watched this child. We're going to find out sometimes the spirit threw him into the water. Sometimes the spirit threw him into the fire, trying to kill him. This father has had, and no doubt all the time he's thinking, did I do this? Did I bring this on? Did I allow this? What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? So, the, you know, we, we read over it quickly, but there's a whole process here. This is a man and this is his son. And there's great brokenness here. He says, oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us, him, the, the child, the mother, 
and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said unto him, look how quickly he says it back. If thou canst, what do you mean if I can? The question is not if I can, the question is if you can. If you canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. What a genuine prayer and what a genuine cry. And how many times have you and I prayed that? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I'm here before you, increase my faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people come running, because they know there's about to be a miracle, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, so this spirit no doubt causes an inability to speak or hear, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and beautifully enter no more into him. He secures the boy's future. The father doesn't have to leave and think, boy, I hope he doesn't come back. Every time his kid snores, he doesn't have to think, oh no, he's back again, you know. The, the, the Jesus secures the future of this little boy on behalf of the father and on, the, on behalf of this young child. Enter no more into him, and those spirits have to listen. And the spirit cried and tore him sore, so stubborn, and came out of him, and he was as one dead. Insomuch that many said, hey, he's dead. That's how dead he looked. A lot of people in the crowd said, he's dead. Yeah, he's delivered now. He's dead. Mark alone tells us this. But Jesus took him by the hand, this is the second phase of the miracle, and lifted him up, and he arose. Remarkable. His, his frame was so ravaged and so torn from the strength of this demon that he collapsed there as a dead person. Jesus touched him, took him by the hand, raised him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, uh, how come we couldn't cast out that demon? Very interesting answer. You can do with it what you want. He said unto them, this kind, this genos, this family, this kind of spirit can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting, speaking about a lifestyle. They should not be a faithless generation. You know, it isn't, it isn't okay, we have a demon-possessed boy here, now I need to do a black bread fast, I need to go through these incantations. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that encountering this kind of spirit, you need to be the kind of person who leads a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. You need to be standing in the right place spiritually to confront. Now, what is this kind? I don't know that. There are principalities and there are powers. What is the difference between a demon and a fallen angel? We don't find fallen angels anywhere seeking to possess bodies. Demons, it seems to me, are some type of disembodied spirit 
that need to get back into a human, a pig. You know, you know please don't listen to people that say, you know, you got demons in your albums, you got demons in your wall. People have come to us and said, I think there's a demon in my wall. Will you come pray to my house? They're looking for biology. They're looking for protein. They're not looking for, they're not in your sheetrock. That, that's not happening. You know, they, they can scare you and make you think that, but that's, that deal's not going on. This kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. And, and you know, look, fasting. Fasting's a good thing. Well, I have hypoglycemia. Well, okay, then don't fast from food. Fast from television for two weeks. That'll change your life. Uh, I have diabetes. Well, then don't, you know, don't fast from food. Fast from gossip for a month. Try to go an entire month without talking about someone else. Try to go an entire month without telling a dirty joke, without saying something you shouldn't say. Try to go an entire month getting up one hour earlier than you get up to get on your knees and seek him. That concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 9 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. Today's message number is SPM 541. That's SPM 541. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 9 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel Philadelphia or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast, available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.